Hello and welcome to episode 320 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett and Jack Harper. Plenty to get into this week. We will pick apart the key talking points from one huge mid-table clash and one huge top-of-the-table encounter. We will also look to what each team is seeking with one week remaining in the transfer window. Liam Smith's shocking knockout win over Chris Eubank Jr., the fallout from UFC 283, and the NFL Divisional Round. First thing, though, how are we doing today? Yeah, good. I'm, I'm glad I'm actually able to say that for once. Well, I mean, if you were good after watching that Saturday lunchtime <laughs> kickoff, that, that's good for. That might speak to. That's good for us. That you're in, you're in a bad place. Yeah, that's that sadly is as good as it gets for us at the moment. Some someone who dribbles past two players and shoots off target. That that's a good weekend for us. <laughs> well, in case you were feeling down, we do have some news of the week this week, and we will get straight into that, which will be sure to perk you up. Man that farted during police strip search is given 75 hours community service. That's brilliant. That's like the ultimate disrespect, isn't it, in that situation? Or if he couldn't hold it. This, Yeah, this is the thing. In your police report, do you have to do a lot? I could tell he pushed this one out. <laughs> <laughs> Detail in his face. He was definitely... This didn't that was intense. Uh, struggling pig kills butcher at slaughterhouse in Hong Kong. The turntables. We we do always say if you go like that, just someone do us a favor and lie. Say <laughs> yeah. I was hit by a bus or something. <laughs> Pet fish commits credit card fraud on owner using a Nintendo Switch. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Surely you read the beyond the headline on that. No, that didn't is know. discipline. Man survives 24 days at sea eating ketchup, garlic powder, and seasoning cubes. Staple diet, that. Because that's another one I have massive questions for. Why were those the only things around? (laughs) What? Maybe he's just a fussy eater. There's actually lots of food readily available. I'm not going to eat any of that. Or someone else ate what was left, (laughs) killed them off. Some dodgy chicken. Man who ate 40 rotisserie chickens in 40 days says the final one tasted like leather. I don't plan to eat chicken again for a long time. It's hard to, it is hard to imagine being bored of a rotisserie chicken. Now, I actually did read the article on this. It was the other way around. It wasn't was when I wasn't looking for headlines, and it's an entirely serious like post on The Guardian. <laughs> Guardian? Slightly. <laughs> Yeah, of him detailing, like, you know, I wanted to go back to uh, the roots of man. There's nothing you can beat, like a rotisserie chicken. And he basically put it online and all these people got involved to the point where like hundreds gathered to watch him eat the final rotisserie chicken. And it's just him saying what a horrible experience it was because he was so tired of chicken. (laughs) He's like proper depressing things like, I would catch myself on the way to the shops asking myself, are you really doing this? Are you really going to buy another rotisserie chicken? <laughs> Strange addiction to have. It's going to be you know, liquidating it and heating it up on a spoon. <laughs> Maybe by the end of it. Um, this was, no, actually, because it says no sauce, nothing. It was just man, rotisserie chicken. That was what he was having. So. Fair enough. Uh, 
Kentucky parents concerned that a teen who compiled kill list is allowed to return to school. I can see you might have some concerns there, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's understandable. Um, and any time this kid has problems, he just gets a pen out and a notepad and has a look around. If whoa, whoa. <laughs> I take it back. YouTubers said they destroyed over 100 VHS tapes of an obscure 1987 movie to increase the value of their final copy. They sold it on eBay for $80,600. Wow. Bastards. Nice. Looking in to see what VHS tapes you've got Are you, uh Did you read into what the film no. was? No. It's all your discipline. You read, the, you, what, you read the chicken one, but you won't read this one. So the chicken one was a, was a reversal. I didn't go into that looking for a headline. I just was scrolling down my timeline. I see a man who's eating 40 rotisserie chickens in 40 days. What else am I going to do at 7 o'clock in the morning when I'm scrolling Twitter? I'm obviously going to read that. And have chicken for tea. Okay, so we will go... Straight into the football, then. Happy to do some more news if you want. It's fine. You don't, <laughs> don't have to. Last season, Liverpool and Chelsea played each other on the way to finishing second and third in the Premier League and contested both domestic cup finals. These clubs between them have won half of the past four Champions League finals. That was not the calibre of affair that we saw at 12.30 on Saturday afternoon. <clears throat> It is funny how our demise has seemed to coincide with one another. But last year, we just could not beat each other. It had to be settled on penalties twice. And now we can't beat each other for very different reasons. Oh, that's nice, doesn't it? That makes, <laughs> makes it both feel better. Well, maybe this is like, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you United are back because I don't believe that's the case. But maybe this is just a cycle. Like, as I said, United get better. You two have to get worse. Yeah. Yeah, it has been quite an experience getting bantered by Arsenal and United fans for having a mid-table clash. You know? <laughs> well, you wait till you get every time you play a team, Sky doing a promo of rivalry renewed as if they haven't still done that same advert every single time when we were shit or not. So you're not quite there yet. But anyway, I thought the most interesting thing about this was probably the team selection, which says a lot about the product we saw. TK felt like this was a message to Liverpool's midfield. Yeah, true. Um, and um, Bichetic had had a good game in midweek and I think his energy and his legs in there had been useful for us. So he obviously thought, uh, we'll go with this again. Felt like a bit of a reach, a, a midweek cup clash with Wolves and then a league game against Chelsea is probably two different things. But I uh, I could see the thinking behind it and I didn't think uh, the kid did bad in there. Was it a message to Navigator? Because, I mean, I read that he was being rewarded for a fine performance in midweek. I must have missed that performance. But <laughs> he obviously did enough to get a start. I think I must have missed most of Nabi's good games, I think. Just going <laughs> canvassing opinion. Uh, yeah, maybe. I think it's probably more of an indication of where the options are at the minute. Um, I did think it was odd that you didn't have at least one of Fabinho or Henderson in there, though even yeah. with the fact that neither of them have exactly been at their best this year. Should should we read anything 
into Harvey Elliott playing as part of the front line this time? Do you think that's where Klopp sees him moving forward or do you think he sees him as a midfielder? I think Klopp was seeing him as a midfielder, but he's having his better games as part of that front three, certainly coming in off the right. Now, what that means for Salah is a good question. Um, but it was an odd one in that Salah, you'd probably go with that. Salah through the middle, Elliot off the right, and Gakpo off the left. And yet, Klopp never really did that. And you kind of think that would probably have suited all of them and might have given us something yeah. a little bit more attacking-wise, i.e. anything. Um, it just didn't really go with that, which is odd. No, and neither side controlled the play for really long periods throughout. And we'll get into some specific moments. But I thought it was interesting that Klopp, decided to be compact in the middle of the pitch rather than pressing in the way you usually do. I don't know if you think that's a sign of things to come. That's the way he's kind of going to be structuring his team moving forward. Or maybe it showed that he was under some pressure that even he's not shown yet. It's a good point. Potentially if he's finally sort of reading the room though and going, well, look, these guys don't have the energy to press like we want to, like we have done. I'm going to have to change something. Maybe... He's doing that. I I wonder if it was even as conscious as that, though. It seemed like he was... He's kind of struggling with ideas a little bit at the minute. And he's going, well, I'll play the guys who are playing well. And Elliot had an all right game in the week. Chetich had a good game in the week. And he thinks, if I put the young lads out, it's, as you said, kind of at least sending a message to the senior players that you've got to butt your ideas up or I will play these guys. I'm not frightened to do that. Maybe that was more his thinking. It, it, it does also... Um... I don't think Klopp's fearing for his job and nor do I think he should be. Um, but it does give you uh, a period of grace with the fans if you do show that that's... You, you get a lot more leeway having Bacetic in midfield than you do losing with Fabinho in there. And I don't know, maybe it was something to send out to the team and just say, look, nobody's undroppable. Or as you say, maybe he didn't really think into it as much as we have. Yeah, I think he just, you probably are just looking at that team and going, I need to get more energy in there. And this is maybe the quickest route to doing that. I'm sure a lot of fans would probably condemn the quickest route to doing that is signing players, but I don't think that's going to be happening. No, um, but in terms of selection, Jack, we didn't get Mudrick from the start. Um, obviously, that was uh, kind of the headline act going into this game. There wasn't much to write about. Neither of you were going to break into any significant position with a win over the other. He comes off the bench for his Chelsea debut 10 minutes into the second half. And to be fair, he has multiple opportunities to decide the game in that period of time. Is it fair, in, for all the hype there has been, in some ways, Liverpool were actually ideal debut opponents for Mudrick. Defend high, they have that massive space in behind. And a lot of the talk I would see when Arsenal were linked with him before you even got involved. So this isn't a... I feel like everything I say positive or negative about Mudrick is going to sound like I'm doing it because he hasn't joined us. A big thing was how he was going to play if he wasn't against... If he if he was playing against like a low block. This was the opposite. He had this the run of the field, a 37-year-old midfielder at right back in front of him. So as much as he was at Anfield, which is supposed to be one of the toughest places to come, it was actually quite a nice introduction in that he could get involved immediately, feel his way into the game. Yeah, <clears throat> for sure. I mean, you don't have to cast your minds too far back to remember other wingers that like a lot of space in behind, i.e. Burner and Pulisic having decent games against Liverpool also. 
it does seem to be the tactics employed by most managers just to stick tricky, fast people on the wing. But I think I do feel that he showed glimpses within that of being able to play against crowded crowded spaces. We saw a good couple of dribbles, yeah. uh, good good ball progression, and kind of looking forward, which is so funny because we had it with Felix as well. When someone who is in any kind of form comes into this team, they stick out like a sore thumb. A sore thumb. <laughs> it's crazy. Like it's almost like we've been devoid of all all fun and all joy in football for so long. It's like, oh, this is what an informed player looks like in an attacking well, position. The game was so, so sure. lacking in quality as well that as soon as anyone came on like of his standard, it did suddenly look, oh, this is a different level to anything we've seen in this game because it was so poor, so dull. Mm-hmm. I think there was, it was good. I mean, I don't know if I'm... I'll, I'll wait for you, Byron, because I don't know if I'm going to jump the gun and talk about the second half yet. Well, he's like we're in the second half yeah. because he's on it. But Mudrick specifically, I was going to say, he added that nice touch early on. He showed um, a familiarity with his teammates, having only been there for a week. And if anything, his kind of welcome to Chelsea was that he found Ziyech, he found Shukwemeka in decent positions and they didn't convert the chances. So maybe that's something he'll need to get used to quite sharply. Yeah, it's funny because you had him creating some guild edge chances and Chukameka did did like falling over a lot that game. I mean, he did, <laughs> I'm not going to dig on him too badly because he has been brilliant, I feel. But a couple of, if that was an informed striker in that position, those two assists for Mudrick on his debut, I feel. It's just it's the way we are at the moment. He also did win the ball back nicely a couple of times, um, which is something he's had to do at Shakhtar. They did counter press very quickly and it was something that um, the analytics said that's why he would fit into Arteta's team quite nicely with the way that we press from the front. Um, he's a, he's a, he tracked back. I was, I was just going to say he's absolutely rapid. He's so fast. Yeah, yeah, he's insane. And I think that there was something that came out where he wants to create, he wants to be create the fastest recorded sprint in the Premier League. And I was like, Do you, have you seen our medical department? Please don't try this. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had the... He had the moment where he he dribbles through three defenders and shoots into the side netting um, on 65 minutes, which was probably the highlight of his performance. There were a couple in which he could have done better. And the the question is, I'm not saying maybe first game uh, or first half an hour. One of the things I said when I thought he was joining us and we're in a very different position to you, we don't need to make you aware of that. <laughs> I was saying... I th- I was saying, look, if we're signing you at this point of the season for this money, you have to make an instant impact. Like you can't be a hundred million pound man and not be expected to make an instant impact. It it, it doesn't work like that. Um, Anthony's getting the same treatment, and we'll speak about him later. I don't think there should be any pressure on him negatively after half an hour. But would you agree with that statement? That look you should be coming in and looking like the best man on this pitch because that's the price that Chelsea have paid for you. Yeah. <clears throat> I, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. I do agree with that. It's it's hard to find a balanced argument against it. You know, I mean, he is young. He's a raw talent. He's by no means the finished article. But if we're going to go and drop that kind of money on someone, it has to be someone decent and they have to perform. I think he could have taking a couple of those chances a bit better. But I think if you're looking at Madrid four or five games in, 
where he's used to the team that he's playing in. I think that put that ZH ball really caught him unawares. I think more than anything. Um, so it'll be interesting to see that link up if if ZH does stay or whatever. But he needs to make an, an instant impact. But like I said earlier, he looks like he's made an impact already because I, it doesn't take a lot to stand out in his Chelsea team in an attacking sense at the moment. And TK, I said to you uh, on Saturday that post-game, Joe Cole, I believe it was, and most of the pundits were saying, well, you know what? I think Chelsea will be happy with that point. And I, I didn't agree with that because I thought Chelsea had the better chances throughout the game. Obviously, they have the goal that's um, ruled out for offside. And then when you look at kind of the match reports and what the journalists are saying, they're saying, well, if you're looking for a positive for Liverpool, it's that they didn't lose. This would have been their third consecutive loss on the spin if they did do that. A goalless draw isn't what the Anfield crowd are there for, but I don't know. I, I thought they were a bit more content with that than I would have expected them to be. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's... You'd have probably taken the draw at the start of the game and that's kind of where we're at at the minute, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I thought Chelsea probably, probably were the better team in a poor, poor game with the better team because by virtue of the fact that they actually created some pretty clear chances, we didn't really create anything. A couple of chances for Gakpo who... I don't know, a little coaching tweak, maybe don't lean so far back that your head nearly touches the floor when you hit a ball. I think a decent shout. I'm always going to hit Rosehead every time. Yeah, it's maybe the less said about him at, the, <laughs> at this stage, the better. I mean, we're all talking about his price tag. We're maybe starting to see why. Jack, you complained in the last couple of weeks that you couldn't really see what Graham Potter was trying to do. When you see things like uh, the change in position for Hall and the little things like that, can you maybe start to see something he's trying to do? Does that give you any inclination as to whether he's on the right track or is it still hotter out until he proves otherwise? Um, Yes, the latter. I think our our main chances came from moments of brilliance from Madrid and ZH whipping in a ball to Madrid, which ZH does. That's his only kind of his only play, his only hand that he plays is that cut inside diagonal ball. And don't get me wrong, it's effective if it goes in, but still not going in at the moment. It's another game. It's another game without a goal. Um, it's just the goal return on this with the players that he's got. It just shouldn't be this low. And you're right, we did have the chances to win the game, and we didn't put them away. It's been our problem all season, but we should still be capitalising. If you look at the two starting 11s between Liverpool and Chelsea's, I would still want Chelsea to go and get a result there. Like, yeah. with how Liverpool have been, with how they're playing a 37-year-old defender at right back, and the midfield that they put out with no Van Dijk, you've got to be going at them. The fact, the fact any team, if they don't have Van Dijk and they still play that high line, any team that doesn't get a result against them should be thinking of should be well any team that could get a result like a top six team or I don't know what we call, call ourselves now top half but um, yeah I think we really should have gone for them we had the chances to do it and I think you should be in a bit more attacking maybe I, mean, I suppose you couldn't really bring much on any earlier but I still don't see it and a nil-nil draw against one of the worst Liverpool sides we've seen in a long time is, that doesn't fill me full of confidence 
well, you've got the best part of like two weeks now until Chelsea play again. So I'd be very surprised if Mudrick isn't in that starting lineup. I was going to mention this later with the transfer talk, but Ziyech uh, obviously played a prominent role on Saturday. When you see the kind of credible links, does it surprise you that he's linked to other Premier League teams as opposed to being something like the this, this Serie A or even back to Holland? It's such a weird one because he's got so much quality. It's all about attitude with him. And we are not in a position where we can have a luxury passenger in this team. We've got one in habits as it is. We can't do any, we can't have, we don't have room for it. Um, so well, like when, when you see who he's linked with, he's linked in the Premier League. The most credible link is Newcastle. You look at the way they play. I, I, I don't see like any sense in that. No, I mean, what they'd have to do is they'd have to fit him in on the, on the right wing and have him cut inside and whipping balls across. But you're right, that changes the whole directness of their play. Is Almiron, does he play on the right or the left? On the right, but his, his, their whole game is on like intensity. Like well, if yeah. it's not Almiron on the one side, then it's Sir Max on the other, or it's going to be Isaac on the other. The problem with Ziyech is it'll show you in glimpses exactly why you'd be sad if he went. But 75 to 80% of the game, he'll show you why he shouldn't be there. It's so weird with him. He's like Berbatov, but without any of the good stuff. <laughs> Just looks, he looks lazy. And that's bad when you when you stand out by looking lazy because the Premier League games are played at such a pace, you will stand out if you get caught napping. And TK, if we said the price tag was going to put pressure on Mudrick straight away, how long until there is pressure on Gakpo, or is that there already, or do not enough people care in your situation to kind of pile the pressure on him? Yeah, he might. I'm not even saying that in a joking way. But he might like, benefit from fans becoming sort of indifferent to the season. Yeah, if they kind of think the season's a scratch, it's a write-off. He may get more time, and the rest of the team not playing well at the same time maybe might say, "Well, he's not walked into a good situation." But uh, I think importantly, I think he looks like he's feeling the pressure. He looks like he's wearing the expectation. Um, maybe it's one of those where sort of the first goal and then he'll hit a run, but. I've got my concerns about him. I had my concerns about him when we signed him. I've got more now that I've seen it. Yeah, just in the last five minutes, just the kind of day we're having, um, UEFA have now officially changed their rules to stop Chelsea using the contracts that they're using, cheap financial fair play. (laughs) Oh my God. And Floyd Mayweather is fighting my old nemesis, Aaron Chalmers. So um, oh, what's happened in in the last couple of minutes? This comes in from next season, Jack. So all of your signings that you're bringing in now, you can still bang them in on uh, eight, nine-year deals. Well, I guarantee you we're going to be making some more signings. Then. Is they so, going to get more so match? Do you, start, do, you, do, you start, do you say start the next season or start next year? So I'm guessing like July onwards. Nice. Bowley's going to treat this like a Black Friday sale. Yeah, come on, Todd. Let's Enzo get everyone in. Get well, four, forty players. It's it's already a rule with FIFA, but it's one of those uh, kind of purchasing slash possession laws, or the, well, there's the little kind of hacks around it. In in this sense, FIFA have the rules, but they also say it's down to UEFA to kind of impose these things, and they can do their own measures or whatever and UEFA just haven't put a max limit in there 
Chelsea's uh, recent business, obviously, <laughs> has caused them to say, no, hang on a minute, this isn't actually quite right. Oh, no. Well, because you can bring new things into the game, which Bowley is obviously going to do. He's going to look at it from a different perspective. This isn't some crazy hack that I have this sense that he's kind of come in here and gone, I can't believe nobody's ever thought of this before. And the probability is someone has thought of this before. One, you're not paying them enough money to make it worth them signing it over that length of time. And everything else that goes in with it. So look, make the most of what you can. Chelsea have put in another 50 million bid today <laughs> with uh, another 70 million bid to be placed in the next couple of days for Caicedo. So look. It's, I mean, to be fair, it is quite clever. And if they do end up capping it in the summer, we've gotten away with it and no one else can do it. So fair enough. Crack on. Come on, Todd. Been, Get your wallet 50 out. 50 million for a backup right back. So this is where we're at at the moment. <laughs> this is where hey. we're at at the moment. I'm here for the ride. At first I was sceptical, but now I'm just like, you know what? If we're going to go out, go out a ball of flames and then we'll have, we'll start off in the conference again. I might get a game for Chelsea. me. Well, we'll move on to the other end of the table and that was Arsenal versus Manchester United. Eddie Nketiah's stoppage time winner kept Arsenal five points clear at the top of the Premier League as they beat Manchester United 3-2 in a thriller at the Emirates. Now, if... Chelsea, Liverpool didn't give us many moments then. There were plenty of them in the Arsenal game. We're not going to go through all of them. In the same sense we did with Liverpool, I thought the selection here was actually as interesting as anything that occurred in the game. I have to admit, I was perplexed by the selection from Ten Hag. Seeing Fred benched when he was the player I was most worried about after Rashford was mental. And then I saw that paraphrased interview where he said he'd found the solution to beat us. <laughs> and I was feeling quite uneasy. <laughs> you know that Thanos, what is he cooking meme? <laughs> and I thought, either you're mental or you have a very good reason to be this confident. <laughs> and that was the part that was scaring me. It did look like he was kind of going for it, uh, decided he just couldn't allow them to be penned in. Weghorst would try and spread the pitch, occupy the centre-halves. But then I also counteracted that and I thought, well, then Saliba and Gabriel are just going to feast with you running through at them. It have the opposite effect. And then being completely real, I didn't see how that midfield could trouble us. Ericsson moves like he's run out of battery. McTominay is like a headless chicken at the best of times. And Bruno doesn't have the ability, I don't think, to control a midfield at this level anyway. He's just like an end product guy at this stage. But the one that I thought was really strange, I thought Anthony was the wrong move. And I said last week to TK, um, I think, that someone fast should have been playing on Zinchenko's shoulder and I debated whether they would put Rashford on that side, even with his effectiveness on the right. But they stuck Anthony there. And if there was a contender for the worst player on the pitch, I think he would take it quite comfortably. And Ben White had the his worst game ever in an Arsenal shirt and he was still somehow better than him. That moment where he had a 20-yard head start on Party, and Party clearly said, I'm not losing the ball to you, and it put up a pace that I've never seen from him before in my <laughs> life. <laughs> it was just a, a horrible look, but in terms of the actual game, Rashford probably a good place to start. He's in the form of his life, and then he, he carried that over into this game. 
uh, about 25 minutes in, I think it was. Yeah, and look, you were a bit sloppy in possession in that, but also at the same time, there are also moments where you just kind of got to say, that's a great goal, sticking it through his legs and then hitting the ball like he did. Oh. Like when he first hit it, I thought, oh, is the goalie to blame here? And then you look at it back, you're like, no, no, there's nothing he can do about this. Yeah. It's just perfect, perfect strike. I was the exact same. I actually didn't clock that it was a Megs at first <laughs> either, um, which the slow-mo, I didn't need to see that many more times. <laughs> um yeah, Party and Ben White, particularly in the first half, were so, so sloppy. And they're two of the most assured people that you have in this Arsenal mm. team. That's Rashford's now fifth goal in the league since the World Cup. Um, and across all competitions, it's nine since we've returned. He started and he clearly was trying to get at Ben White early. I don't know if that's something he's found in England training, if it's just the confidence he's in, he's prepared to go out. He sent Ben White home. He, he did. That's what I, did it. I wouldn't. It's a bit of a cop-out. I wouldn't be surprised if we found out that he was ill or something because I understand playing badly, but he just looked so lethargic yesterday that I've never seen that from him, even when he's had... Like when he played slightly injured against Newcastle uh, at the end of last season, there was issues. Um, everyone goes on at like the Brentford game. I'd never saw that as a particularly big issue from him, but he just looked sluggish yesterday, like he was ill maybe more than injured. Um, or look, maybe sometimes you just have a bad day, and maybe it was just one of those gay, uh, one of those days. Um, <laughs> already in slip there, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but I thought it was actually a, a, a very big call from Arteta. One that I was quite surprised by that he dragged him at half time, yeah, which maybe suggests maybe there is there was a, a knock or something because, as you said, surprising that he would do it. Um, but at the same time as well, Tommy Asu obviously is, is a great one-on-one defender and Rashford was the main attacking threat you had to deal with outside of that. As you said, I actually thought Vegas did all right for his role, but he isn't going to give Saliba and Gabriel too many problems in terms of running in behind. So you don't have to worry in that regard. And Anthony was uh, absolutely horrible. Just, I just, yeah. I don't know how he will ever justify the fee. He just doesn't look like he's a player of that ability. No, um, I mean, you you get a sense within players like right from the jump if they've got a bit of something. Sometimes it can trick you. Danny Ceballos, I was convinced was <laughs> that guy. Um, I was ready to do a fundraiser after a debut against Burnley. Mudrick, I mean, we've seen. I know Anthony got his goal against Arsenal, but that was one where Zinchenko was like at the other end of the pitch, and he finished it nicely. I don't doubt that he can finish from six yards out, but in terms of what a winger actually offers, particularly a counter-attacking winger with the way they play. Insane. He has that one ball in which he looks like he's going to drive into space and he checks back across and whips it to the back stick from uh, probably the inside of the pitch, almost like you used to be able to get on FIFA. The amount you could bang with like that with Van der Vaart on the old FIFA was insane. And that's <laughs> essentially like Anthony's move. And if he doesn't have that, I hate, I hate seeing a winger that will not drive into space. And look, it worked out perfectly for us. Garnaccio, I don't know how comfortable he is on the right. Seemed like it would have been a far better move, even just in terms of, even if he was going to mess it up, he would have at least given it a go. And Antony, I didn't even think did that. No, you got to at least threaten it. And I thought, especially with the way the game was going at the end when you had them penned in, I thought the main thing, and I'm sure you wouldn't have felt this way, you would have probably thought they were still getting a goal. But I thought the main thing, you thought, well, United have got nothing now. They were getting increasingly tired because obviously they'd been trying to press Arsenal high Arsenal 
mostly played around it. But as the legs were going, Rashford was increasingly the only one offering any sort of threat on the counter. And so you couldn't get out because there was no pace to be able to do it. Liverpool, once upon a time, if we were under the cosh a bit, you always had the threat of Salah and Mane on the halfway line. They had nothing like that. So Arsenal were able to eventually just start to dominate them towards the end. Yeah, I, I actually missed most of the last five minutes because I just had my face down. I just didn't watch. <laughs> um, I was just, They had a corner and I was just waiting to hear an Arsenal name on commentary. Um, and then I looked up and Trossard was doing his, his little jinx through a couple of players, which was nice. I think, and it seemed, I mentioned it after the Fulham game, I believe, when Gabriel Zahaula and Mitrovic popped in and I said that I was cursing him. And I got some looks at the Emirates that, it was almost like we don't do that here anymore. <laughs> and you hear this and everyone thinks their fans are particularly good or whatever. At the Emirates, when we concede now, and look, they've earned a certain level of faith for you to have in them. There's maybe a sigh and then that's out the system. And then you get a cheer within about five seconds. And I've never heard anything like that before in football. Arteta keeps referencing it. Because uh, and I think because he's referenced it, the crowd keep doing it. We score Wallace six minutes later. Mm. I don't know how many times they needed to be shown that Granite Jack is someone where you should probably track his runs. And then it's a great ball to the back stick where I don't know who Wambasaka is looking at, but Inketia doing his thing. Just to build on your point there, Byron about the cheer in the crowd when you go down a goal down. That's so vitally important. Because um, like just to contrast it with Stamford Bridge, like whenever we go a goal down, the whole stadium, the air comes out of it. Yeah. it's And you can see that transform, like translating onto the players, onto the pitch, because you've almost resigned to it. Whereas the Emirates is a tough place to go again now. And you showed that yesterday massively. Well, the the only game there that we've dropped points all season is Newcastle. Um, and I remember under Unai Emery, if we conceded, it, it would just be 60,000. Oh, fuck you, yeah, man. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and it was just so bad. And now that, that Fulham game was the first time I did. Actually, Leicester, when Saliba concedes that own goal, I remember being cheered immediately after when it looked like it could have been a nervy couple of minutes. We go and score actually straight after, but that was when I thought, okay, there's something a bit different going on here. And then the second we got back in the game, I was I was quite confident again. So I knew that we could get at them. But I maybe showed Luke Shaw a bit too much respect in the pregame because Saka did horrible things to that man yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I think that was more how good Saka was though, wasn't it? Rather than Shaw. I think Shaw tried doing tried going close, tried standing off and it was just like, what the hell can I do with this guy? And he did get almost no help from the midfield or anything. I thought that's where particularly playing Fred would have helped him. Yeah, I didn't even know and I was going to ask if you thought Luke Shaw did badly. Saka loves playing against United, that's now clear. Mm. Um, I don't know who picked up the stats that He's the first Arsenal player to score in three consecutive games against them since Thierry and Freddie Lundberg. But we realised early on that Saka was having more joy than Martinelli was and we then just batted that flank. No player had more than Saka's 13 touches in the box. 
no player created more than his four chances in the game. And 37% of our attacking touches came down that side. We were just too good um, down there. And Saka, that goal is the best goal he's ever scored. That one against the Rams was pretty nice, but this this took the cake. And uh, look, got us back in the lead. And then him doing the Rashford celebration was just the cherry on top for me. <laughs> It's nice to see he's got that in him. He comes yeah, across such a nice, well-spoken young man. But I love to love a bit of bastardry. Yeah, I didn't. I think it probably helps that Rashford is his mate. Like I, I question if he's the type. If say Rashford is some Hungarian player he's never met before and doesn't have a relationship with, if Rashford's kicking him all over the shop all game and then scores. I don't see Saka going down the other end and doing a celebration as like a thing like that. No. This felt more like you see this this kind of thing in the NBA and it reminded me of like something that you would see there. But yeah, I couldn't believe it when I saw him doing it. <laughs> Question here then is were United good? And this is the big debate that I think has been coming out of this game. <laughs> In the moment, it felt very tense. The stats, I don't think, do it justice completely. De Gea is one. Everyone that isn't a United fan can keep saying how much he's costing them points. And we also this about Lloris until Spurs fans have finally started to go, okay, yeah, fair enough. His playing out from the back is never going to work. That's now, what, three, four times it's cost them this season. The other one was... They didn't really create much of note. When I was looking back and thinking about the clear-cut chances they had, it was mainly our own errors and our own mishaps that were causing it. Ramsdale makes a really nice save from Rashford. And the other moments are just individual brilliance or Arsenal errors. I I can't believe we let Hasbullah score against us. (laughs) I was wondering if you were going to mention him. I can't believe I didn't. The long we played him at Old Trafford, I backed it because I thought that's obviously going to happen. And then he clearly knew that. And then this time decides, no, he's not backed me this time. So uh, he can do it with the most little man header ever. Erdegaard has the chance to John Terry him. And I don't think you can send him off if that's the case. When your head's near the deck, <laughs> if Erdegaard volleys it off your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> but it's probably going to, it's probably going to affect Erdegaard more than it is to Sandro and, that's a real shame. When they were saying, you know, he's got a headband and a black eye, but he probably wouldn't really have it any other way. What the hell are you talking about? Come on, you're the bit. Stupid Martin Tyler. It was weird that he seemed to get work. more, he looked more banged up, like minute on minute, but nothing was happening to him. It just seemed <laughs> yeah. like he was getting battered. That, I don't know if it was off camera or something. Yeah, he, he was weird. Um, other than, other than the goals, um, the moment we realised Rashford was the only dangerous one, we triple teamed him, wrapped him up, done deal. Arsenal had more touches in the box against United yesterday than any team has had in any match all season. I did see that stat. That's a mad, mad stat. It, it was our highest recorded XG of the season. And if you remember that game against Leicester, where Jesus could have had 10. <laughs> We had 25 shots to their six. It was a battering from pretty much all proportions. 
the moments that um, I was reflecting on from from their point of view was that vile Bruno dive at the start of the game, <laughs> which did shit me up for a second, and the one where I can't believe Rashford hasn't initiated contact with Ramsdale when he's come out. He's got to take it, hasn't he? He's because they do it any other time they have the opportunity, and this time he's just managed to squeeze. Got scared, them. didn't he? Got nervous. And Ramsdale does make a mistake for the Lissandro goal. I thought pre-game because he was so good last week. Well, I know you've got one in you. If you can maybe save it to where a couple of goals up <laughs> in another fixture, um, he does that there. I think you said yesterday, TK, I think he could leave it for Tomiyasu. But when you think, I think our back four have pretty much played every game together. I don't know if that's just a familiarity thing, if it's a trust thing or whatever. If he lets Tomiyasu head that way, then there's no problem. But he goes to catch it. Tomiyasu's in the way. And then I don't think anyone other than someone that's about four foot three can finish that header. <laughs> it was a, he improvised a bit well because you wouldn't yeah. normally expect someone to put that header in, but uh, I yeah, I thought the uh, sort of the post-match sort of online analysis of it of you know that debate of the debate of were United any good was it a close game whatever I thought it was pretty clearly like a good back and forth game in the first half where you were obviously getting on the ball and trying to press it like you do and they were live on the counter attack and it was a nice balance of those two. But then I thought the second half, you really started turning the screw. And then the last 20 minutes, for example, they were penned in and couldn't get out. And at that point, you were racking up the chances. And I'm sure those stats were probably aided by the end of that game as well, uh, where yeah. you really were just... And look, I'm sure it didn't from your point of view, but from my point of view, it felt like a, a matter of time before the goal went in because <sighs> the spaces were opening up. Um, Arsenal have been relentless all year anyway, and they were relentless in this game. And it was just an energy about them and in contrast United looked like it was sort of like the last game of the season sort of look about them it's really really hanging in well I do always have a quiet confidence with us this season but when the emotions of the game are there then that kind of overrides it I, I kind of thought that if I watched the game back and if you could take the emotion out of it that it would look very different I thought it would be like um, when you watch a film with a twist for the second time it, and it just has <laughs> yeah. a completely different feel yeah. to it. Because yeah, those those the Bruno one is a Lissandro pass that he slices and it dribbles through, they nearly get on the end of it. The Rashford one where he's nearly taken out by Ramsdale is a lump forward that just kind of scribbles through to him. That was really it. It did kind of feel like they could have done something on the break. I thought it was cowardly from Ten Hag um to not bring Garnacho on sooner. That told me, and I think it told his team that they were more than happy with the draw, which there's no issue with. But I do think you need to show us that that's not how you feel because then we were able to take even just two steps further forward. Yeah, I think you did need to freshen it as well. It seems I think you could sense that they were getting tired and you needed him offering something at least different and maybe something that can get in behind Zinchenko, just something. The the the, the talk around Ericsson has changed very quickly. It's gone from... Oh, yeah. Look, how how did every other team let us get a free run at him to how did every other team let us get a free run at him because we don't doubt that he he is technically brilliant but if you're playing in a team that this united one is supposed to essentially be that our intensity is going to cover up for our shortcomings in talent and all of these other things that we're not there yet 
Ericsson is just kind of a middle... When you're not even letting the guy take free kicks, what are you there for? <laughs> it is true. I think, you said going into the season, I felt you're going to be able to play him against uh, like smaller teams that you're going to be able to get on the ball. But against bigger teams where you're going to need sort of more legs in midfield, more athletes, he's not going to be able to cope. And you looked at that midfield against Arsenal's, and I thought, actually, it would be more of a battering in there than it, than it was because... Yeah. I, I couldn't believe said that Fred had started. And once Casemiro's out, I think Fred has to in there for his energy. For someone to press party and someone to match the Arsenal midfield energy, particularly, you know, you said about tracking Jack's runs. You just, apart from anything, you're going to need legs in there. And, and Ericsson just isn't going to do that. Well, the, the McTominay one was interesting because I finished the game and I thought, I don't actually think he had that bad of a game. And then I, when I was thinking about it, I realised... I thought that because I've not seen yeah, it. Yeah. And I'm not even saying that in like a jokey way, but no. I'm saying it in that I've not seen you make six fouls and I've not seen you pop up in the wrong place. When we were told that, look, he was in there and he was given a specific role, it looks like initially that maybe he was on Xhaka, which if he was, then it's the worst marking job you've ever seen. <laughs> I think maybe it was to try and take away the space from Zinchenko. But if that was the case, he does a horrible job at that too. So I don't know what his special job was, but it didn't work. And that's his first start since Man City. Mm. And he only played that game because he had no other options. So that tells me you don't trust him. And so what's happened with Fred? <laughs> yeah, bizarre. It was, I, I was glad to see it. They eventually brings Fred on to try and clog up some of the space in front of Luke Shaw because Ericsson was nowhere to be seen. And Saka is just pounding and pounding because Luke Shaw standing off him at first and he's saying, okay, you're going to stand off me. I'm going to drive at you. And then when he tries getting touched tight, he says, right, I'm going to drive inside mm. then because Ericsson's off him. No cover there. It's, it's taking Wakehorse to try and block the shot that Saka eventually fires in. Saka would have hardly been able to believe how easy it was for him to cut inside. No. And I think with Saka, I am seeing week on week people are maybe just standing up to I mean even pre-game I was seeing people say I've never seen Saka score a goal like Rashford's done here and then he does it in the game this is a guy that is I don't think there's a better right winger in the world right now and someone's going to say something like Mbappe and it's like well are you watching the French League I'm not seeing the highlights here Guy's more of a striker. Yeah, yeah, that might be more of a positional thing rather than a an ability thing. Obviously, Mbappe's better. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, (laughs) if we're going to be clutching at things Mm. like, if you say, the best striker in the world, and people would say, what about Messi? And so, why is he playing as a striker? And you're just chucking things in because, and when you're there, it's like, okay, there's obviously no one else that's jumping out. If I said Saka was the best right winger in the league pre-season, it probably wouldn't have been just Salah that people would have told me were ahead of him. No, no, people would have put a few different ones up there. I think if you, look, maybe it's a separate conversation about, and I thought for this game, there were reasons why this guy wasn't as good. But I think if you'd said to me, who's going to have this sort of season, Saka or Martinelli? I'd have probably said Martinelli. It can go to another level rather than, more than Saka can. And in truth, Saka's gone to another level. And I think Martinelli's got a, sort of catch up a little bit not saying he's been bad but I'm just saying no, he's he hasn't kicked on in the same way goals. I think part of the issue for Martinelli just from a tactical standpoint is that he has Zinchenko behind him mm. so when you look with Saka 
he's got an overlap with Ben White or he's got him playing inside and Saka can be the wide guy. Xhaka takes up some pockets of space, but they're completely different pockets of space. So Martinelli is very much isolated, just the one man. And so if they bring two across, he doesn't have a double up option. Um, Jesus also does make a big difference to the way Martinelli plays, which, look, can't speak down Eddie. Um, we could do a whole feature on Eddie here. And again, we could say every week, I didn't know you were this good. Oh, I, his link up with Saka is great Arsenal. as well. They, they clearly also I'm have seeing, a good link up. Well, I'm seeing Arsenal fans banter rival fans for saying certain things about Nketiah pre-game or ahead of the season. And I, I, I don't want to stand up for any other fan base, but if we didn't see it, then I can't be expecting a Chelsea fan or a Liverpool fan to be riding out for Nketiah because he hadn't shown there was the reason to do so. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure... You could probably bring up some of the reactions when he was first asked him for a hundred grand or whatever. For sure, wouldn't have been the most I mean, pleasant. Arteta, Arteta said in the post game yesterday, like we knew that he could be the guy um, with his attributes to help us. We didn't think he could do this. <laughs> so, um, I think that's what uh, you've got to look at. Final thing here in terms of pushing for a winner after Spurs collapsed against City, and the less said about that, the better. <laughs> Um, the pressure was on us to get a result. They were two points behind before we'd played, admittedly, with two games in hand. At half-time, I'd have taken a draw, but it looks like they never felt that way. And I think if we'd come out with a draw, I don't think we'd have been too criticised by the pundits or whatever, even with several of them being United fans. (laughs) And I thought the difference just between this and the Newcastle game was what we had on the bench. Trossard came on, and we'll speak about him a bit later, but Sinchenko does a great job of maintaining the pressure and boxing United in. And however you heard me speak about Ben White in the weeks uh, before the World Cup, I feel the exact same way about Zinchenko at this stage. That man. <laughs> what? Why the hell did Pep let him go? He seems like the archetypal Pep player. It's crazy now looking at it, isn't it? <laughs> particularly in that system, because we know the reason they sold Zinchenko is they were going to replace him with Cucurella. What the hell was going on there? <laughs> it does. With every game, it seems a more increasingly stupid decision. And and the fact, it's just funny that you're in a title race with them and he's Probably one of your most consistent players, if not the most consistent. He's he's insane. Um, laugh in the in the studio, they were like, "Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm sure Arsenal, Man City will still do business together." Like, no, they're not. City are not going to no. be going. You know what? You know those two <laughs> massive mistakes you make. Maybe we'll do that a few more times. Yeah, and I do think, in a in a sick kind of way, it's it's more fun beating someone four three on FIFA, isn't it, than beating them ten nil? Um, because you need a bit of that. And I think with Pep, even just bringing in Haaland. We know the guy hates strikers and it's just something that he's like testing himself just to see if he can make this work. <laughs> um, so I'm sure if he gets to the end of the season and he wins it, then he's going to have enjoyed this just as much as those battles of Liverpool because he's been made to work for it. But yeah, if he goes back, then he probably isn't giving us those two players or even just not Zinchenko because they're having to adjust their system now because they can't do this fullbacks into midfielders and that's why Rico Lewis is playing because he's saying Cancelo can't do that as good as he wants Zinchenko is 
like the perfect man to do it because if he played for if he played for Wolves, and I remember cursing him on this podcast by the way for not joining Wolves, which looks horrible when I go mm. back. <laughs> I I criticised him for saying why are you staying at City to not play enough games? Do you think you're too good for Wolves? <laughs> um, he'd be like a number 10 in their system. Yeah. Like he, he wouldn't be a fullback for anyone outside of these top teams. Or probably anyone outside of Arsenal and City. It's just crazy how good he is. And the fact we could bring Trossard off the bench this time, that was the difference between the Newcastle game where he had to keep just the exact same team on because we had no options. I do think that's worth saying with... United as well. It's like you looked at the bench, there wasn't much going on there. You know, Garnaccio maybe could have offered something. I thought Fred should have started, but if he had started, then what? You'd have maybe put Eric's on the bench. He wouldn't have been the guy you'd probably bring on. So, as much I would say with them, I think sometimes we're, we're going to question it with Ten Hag. I kind of think, other than not starting Fred, he kind of went with what he had. Um, mm. By the way, that, you know, I'm going to say that the opinion on Ericsson flipped pretty quick. Some of the generally underwhelmed reaction some Arsenal fans had to Trossard flipping on its head by like one dribble was quite something to behold. Yeah, we're going to speak about the transfers in a minute, but yeah, I, I can't be accused of no, that. I was, no, exactly. I was worried he was going to Spurs. Mm. Um, the final goal, if, you, if you're ever going to slate VAR, and I do think you've got to have it at this stage, but the fact that I couldn't have the simple look, linesman's flag's not up, I didn't celebrate the goal. <laughs> I was so I was so convinced it was offside. And when I saw the first shot, I was like, oh, are they going to do it? Because you couldn't really see Wambazaka's legs as well as I'd have liked on the feed to know if he was onside. And then they were going back and they put the line up and they took it away. I thought, what the hell are you doing to me here? <laughs> Eventually goes in and it was panic first of all because I thought if we concede now I'm going to feel so much worse <laughs> and that's really an indictment about how I feel about football um, <laughs> it's uh, you don't know what you got till it's gone and I, I knew what I had at that stage um, but yeah very good very pleased for Eddie and uh, now only seven sides have ever reached 50 points after 19 games in the league since 1988 and that's if you adjust the league tables to give three points for a win when you go all the way back. Mm. Six of them have won the league, uh, TK. Um, <laughs> oh, oh do you, God. Do you two believe? Because I, I thought it was a very big step towards us getting top four last night. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm saying it'll all come down to injuries more in hope now than actual expectation but why would you not want us over City because I know more Arsenal fans in fact I know you will love to FaceTime everyone you know when if you win it it's your calling card I've got to be honest and this isn't a nice thing to say the fact you're so far off would actually take something off it because it wouldn't feel like we'd won it over you (laughs) yeah fair point Uh, but I've I mean go on I think I think in the end you are definitely the best. You've been the best team in the league so far. I think it's been wishful thinking more than anything where but now we have to actually take it seriously and just actively hope for your demise instead of just wait for it. Um I'm feeling bullish for half a second, so I will say this. 
I keep hearing the likes of Gary Neville say, you know, they've got to play Man City twice. Man City have got to play us twice. Yeah, that's it. Go on, <laughs> into them. Um, I don't want that taken away. And the worst thing I saw yesterday, and I said last year that I would cry when I heard the Champions League music. And I distinctly remember coming on here after we won at Stamford Bridge. And I remember saying, look, we're only three points behind Chelsea. We're coming for third. (laughs) I saw someone tweet that the day after the final game of the season is a bank holiday. And I thought, I wish I'd not seen that. (laughs) I really wish I'd not seen that because... I thought about texting people I've not spoken to in a year about going out after winning the league. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when you're competing against Man City, you've got a dream. So, fortunately. Who, who is your last game of the season? Just out of interest. Uh, Wolves at home, I think. Ooh. Four. I know a team that had Wolves at home last game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I saw a Chelsea fan tweet earlier the date of Arsenal Chelsea and said, like, we will be there no matter what. And it's like, what the hell are you going to be there for? <laughs> 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 I'm all for like, finding some enjoyment in the season, but <laughs> focus on that Champions League because this league, you should be dreading these fixtures. TK, um, last thing from you on this. Um, I saw Gary Neville say yesterday, and amongst all the nonsense that he said, he said, if anything, this is just how a traditional Premier League season feels, in that there isn't one team. He said there isn't one team cruising away with that, actually, which um, he said, we aren't seeing just Man City and Liverpool back to back with everyone else so far behind. And so Arsenal are just setting the pace, and then Man City are going to do their usual. Is that how you see it? Because I question everyone that is saying Arsenal, it's theirs to win. I think they're doing it to set us up <laughs> to then stay. The problem is, you're in such a dichotomy because you really don't like that, but are also then quite offended when someone's like, Absolutely. like there's a tone in your voice. Absolutely. like, well, what do you mean no one's running away with it? Because ostensibly, you're, if we say that Everton game is your game in hand, right? To all intents and purposes, you're eight points clear. Um, Touch wood. I mean, they're getting Bielsa. Yeah, I mean, if I would love to see Bielsa trying to play his football with that Everton squad, that's going to be a fun, fun watch. (laughs) Seamus Coleman. (laughs) Seamus Coleman is out for the season because of one session of murder ball. Well, you want to play them early, really, before he's got the patterns in place, and then whilst they're a bit muddled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, To to answer your question, uh, yeah, I, I think Arsenal are going to win it. I don't. I think people are only questioning it because it's the name Arsenal. I think. I don't think. I think City will put a good points total up, but I don't think they're going to put a stupid points total up. Um, and so I think even if Arsenal have a second half of the season that's 
good, but not as good as this first half, you could still be on for 90 points. And I, th- I think that would be around the sort of total that will get you the win this year, which that would be more like a regular season. High 80s, 90 points, I think, could get the win this year, which is what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be fucking 98 no. plus, <laughs> like City have done. It's not not fair. I do a shudder go through me yesterday when I heard them say, look, Arsenal are on course to be Centurions. I thought, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's draw the line there. And the, the thing but, is, that they're going, they're acknowledging that Arsenal's start to the season is unprecedented for them, but essentially saying that, well, it will be the same old Arsenal. Well, we've just established that it isn't the same old Arsenal, but what, in the second half of this thing, they're just going to have a total meltdown? I just, people are saying out of hope rather than expectation at this point. It caught me off guard because I'd not really paid attention to the points total that when I saw 50 points, that kind of, okay, mm. that we've actually even been a bit better than I yeah. thought we'd been. So we've drawn two, lost one, everything else is a win. Um, I went into this yeah, it, little run of games you've had with, was it Brighton, Newcastle, Tottenham, United? Is that the... Yeah. And I thought... I didn't say it on here because I thought you'll probably implode on the pod and that, I don't know, it's probably not ideal. <laughs> but um, that if Arsenal maintained the lead they had, then it wasn't just that they could win the league, they would win it. And if I'm not mistaken, I think you had seven points going in. And if you win this game, and you would have eight. So you would have enhanced it by points. So I do think, yeah, I, I think we will look back at this United game as the moment it was done. Whether it actually is or not, it's kind of a, separate matter it's probably not but that's what will be sort of anointed that moment I think do you think we still push for the winner last night if uh, City had lost to Spurs it's a good point I think you still would just because I think that's the sort of the mood you're in at the minute and a home game as well with the fans up for it like they were um, I think you would have but traditionally Arteta has not managed cups well and so that is something to pay attention to I think he is (laughs) going to put some disgraceful teams out in the uh, in the Europa. I I don't believe he oh, is. Guilt. Um, that's only by what I've seen when we were chasing top four last year. Uh, well, we didn't have Europa, but we were chasing um, European football a year before, and we were still playing everyone possible. Um, I I think it's different when there's a Premier yeah. League. It's yeah. Surely what, that, you that, think so? What, you're in at a different table, table man. We've we've got Man City on Friday night. I think Pep will rotate. I was going to say that's also a I different thing, though, isn't it? Because you've got City, it's it's almost I don't know. There's something out extra to that. Same as we would sometimes put disgraceful teams out in the cups, but if we had a team like City, we go okay, we're going to have to put something out here. City would still rotate against you, but that's yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. What I think Pep might Pep might do, and kind of I'm not showing you anything. Um, but we'll, we'll move on. Um, the transfer talk. Chelsea have now signed Nani Maduk to add to their attacking options. They've also opened talks to sign Malo Gusto for around €50 million, Euros, and they've had a €55 million bid rejected for Caicedo. Uh, it's been reported today that Chelsea are going to go back in with another €100 million offer for Enzo Fernandez before the window <laughs> is up because they believe ben, they, Benfica can, can be convinced to sell. Um, and ideally, they'd like two midfielders, so... 75 for Caicedo we're looking at and 100 for Enzo Fernandez if they have their way plus 50 plus for a Leon fullback so we could be looking at another 200 plus million spent in the next week (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but we've said a lot about Chelsea's uh, transfer options and maybe a good time to say it now. Not sure Jack's aware, <laughs> Jack's aware of this yet. We're going to do the same as we did last transfer deadline day. Me and TK, Jack, if he wants to do it or if he just wants to jump on for Chelsea, we're going to speak to fans of Newcastle, West Ham, Everton, United, Spurs, do the complete run through everyone's deadline day, a kind of half yearly review. So it'll be a long pod next week and we'll have that out. That'll be out Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, if you're looking for it on your feed next Tuesday. And maybe we need to dedicate an hour just to go. I was about to say, we might need a separate pod for Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Newcastle are interested in signing Scott McTominay, but Manchester United won't let him leave until the summer. TK, initial thoughts on that from both the United perspective and the Newcastle one? Well, I mean, if Newcastle are willing to part with actual money for Scott McTominay, then it seems odd that United wouldn't uh, get rid of him. Um, it You're swapping United's bench for Newcastle's bench, aren't you, in his shoes? So I'm maybe he'll back no, himself well, to, to play more at Newcastle, but I, I don't see it. Not in the direction they're heading as well. He'd be... Uh, a stop according, according to The Athletic, Eddie Howe sees McTominay as being a prominent part of his midfield. So you've got to think, because I'll ask you this question. I text my brother earlier with this link and said, well, he, he said, well, who would he get in ahead of? And he said, he's not better than Sean Longstaff. <laughs> the fact that that is a conversation. I said, McTominay well. is better than Sean Longstaff. United might have um, thought he was for a while. They were thinking about dropping 50 mil on Sean Long yeah. stuff. Now, I messaged Connor about this and I expected, I said, my brother says Sean Longstaff is better than Scott McTominay. What are your thoughts? I expected him to shut the question down and he didn't. <laughs> he said, Longstaff's better on the ball, McTominay's better off it. So a bit of a cop out, but. Um, yeah, do you see that he could be the the trajectory, the trajectory that Newcastle are on? Can you see that McTominay would slide into that? It would seem uh, genuinely a, a, a signing for for some depth. In all honesty, I, I don't see that he's going to improve them significantly. And if you're going to be spending money, you want to be at this stage of where Newcastle is actively improving what you already have. They say McTominay would be a key midfielder for Howe while Old Trafford players need to be sold to boost Ten Hag's spending capacity with UEFA's financial fair play rules gripping. Remember when that was a thing, Jack? <laughs> hey, they want to have a word with old Todd. Todd's Todd just laughing uh, whenever that gets brought up. So what are you talking about? <laughs> Todd's like the billionaire version of the guy that can get you a car radio for 40 quid. Just, he, just knows, he just knows how to get Todd's still things. flogging dodgy sky dishes. I'm, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Jack, at a time when, maybe not so much the last couple of weeks, players like Grealish, Calvin Phillips are criticised when their move to a big club doesn't go well and that they'd have been better off staying at their boyhood club. Should the news today that Harry Kane is open to signing a new deal at Spurs have been greeted with the laughter that it was? Um... Yeah, it should have, because <laughs> I, I, I would say 
that Harry Kane has definitely got the opportunity to go and win things at other clubs. Like Calvin Phillips and Jack Grealish, they're not, they were never going to be shoe-ins for starting positions at Man City. Everyone knew that. And that's why there was such question marks over it. Like what, what are you doing this for? It doesn't make much sense for you as a career perspective. Whereas Harry Kane, if you go and drop him into, if you replace Weghorst with Harry Kane in the game yesterday, and that's a very different game, I feel. I feel like it would scare teams a lot more. And I think, if we're being brutally honest, that's pretty much the only destination he'd probably go to is either Real Madrid, if Benzema. Well, Bayern Munich's the big one he's linked with. And I asked TK on Saturday, would winning a league with Bayern Munich scratch the itch that he has? Or do you think that wouldn't be the case? I mean, it's hard to say inside his head, but it's hard to say yes, because... They win everything over there. So I mean, maybe he's just thinking of doing it for like a retirement, just so he does win a trophy. Because it's just a guaranteed win. Yeah, really, isn't it? Saudi. But but I think it would mean so much more for him if he'd win the Premier League, being English, win winning his home league, and knowing that he isn't going to do it with Spurs. I think he'd probably want to stay in the, I don't think he'd want to ruin his legacy at Spurs while going to Chelsea. I hope United do chuck a bag at him because Two years, good maybe. It's going horribly downhill after that. So as long as we can ride it out and make sure we're good enough to not let you win anything in that time. Yeah, the, the issue you've got is as well with him is that I thought some of the sort of the laughter in potentially signing a deal was, well, if he goes to somewhere like Bayern, we're not going to, like I said, he's not going to get any credit. It's the Kevin Durant going to the Warriors move. It's like, well, what does that matter? But then, okay, so if, as Jack said, the only, probably the only English club you'll go to is United. If you're going to leave Spurs, it's going to be that you're going to somewhere that, right, with if they're not guaranteed a trophy, they are knocking on the door. They're close. Is that United? They look like they're going in a positive direction. I mean, I'm old enough to remember they thought they were going somewhere under Ollie for a spell. They looked like they'd hit a run of form. They got second in the league. Everything was rosy. And guess what? They haven't won fuck all since. And yet, apparently, this yeah. is, oh, this is the guarantee. This will get a league title is getting the trophies he wants I just don't see it so in that regard you go if I'm going to be rolling the dice by going to United and maybe winning something I may as well roll the dice at my boyhood club and break these records etc etc yeah. would Oli have commanded more respect if he was bold like Ten Hag looks a bit more thuggish <laughs> Oli just shaved his head <laughs> He came into training and was like, I've had enough of this now. <laughs> we'd, all be, we'd all be like, God, Christ, we're going to get Ollie some health. What's happened to him? We've gone too much. He's gone through his Britney <laughs> stage. <laughs> He's smashing up a car in Fergus' spot. He's finally lost it. <laughs> um, Arsenal. Now, we weren't sure how they were going to rebound from missing out on Mudrick. And Felix. And Felix. Um, <laughs> it seems they're spreading the Mudrick money around now across multiple deals. Uh, a 21 plus 6 deal for Trossard. 17.2 million uh, for Kiwior from Spezia. Um, fan- fantastic <laughs> signing. Just, just to stop you there. <laughs> I know where this is going. 21.6 for Trossard. If Chelsea come knocking, that's seventy million, and we're paying it. Well, there's this thing that most clubs do is they negotiate. I know it's just 
It's fucking Todd Bowley's <laughs> dicks on the tables negotiation the style. In- the Independent say that Chelsea did come and have a word with Trossard, but once he heard the name Arsenal, shut every other offer off. Now, we were uh, told that Mudrick did that, much- so... <laughs> yeah. Um, less than 100 grand a week for Trossard, though, so he's being paid less than Mudrick. Um, a 17.2 million for left centre left footed centre back Kiwior from Spezia. Fantastic signings, I said. Um thirteen a thirteen point six million deal has been agreed for Fresneda from uh Valladolid. We're told that's between Dortmund and Arsenal as to which team he's gonna join. He's gonna spend the next few days deciding and it's gonna come down to game time and all of this stuff. Um I do feel like Darmesh or Cave when I say we're told. Um, but I just want to make clear that it is a rumour, not me getting the, the news myself. But TK, do you think this is the right move? And if anything, it would have helped maybe if Mudrick didn't play like he did on Saturday. Was this the right move all along to strengthen all bases? Oh, it's, it's really going to depend on if Mudrick is like a game-changing talent, isn't it? Um, because yeah, if, if I was just said, I think Martinelli needs to probably kick on a bit again. If he was to jump in the Martinelli role, then all the problems I've said before about, well, where, where would Mudrick fit in at Arsenal will kind of go away and he's maybe the the thing that gets you over the line with the title, even though I think you're getting there anyway. Um, I think it's only been the last couple of games with Martinelli, to be fair. He's, he's got more goals and assists than Saka this season. More goals, actually, less assists. Yeah, it feels like he's been less consistent in terms of performance, just in terms of watching yeah, him. But I don't, again, that could be just I'm seeing a bad sample. I don't know. This is our Salamane. Well, the other thing, yeah, it is also very hard to maintain like both of them at top, top form at the same time as we've sort of found out previously. So, yeah, you're right. Um, it probably is, but I don't know enough about the other signs you're being linked with in terms of their quality. So, you would always, I think the trust one was a really good sign in that, yeah, I couldn't believe sections your fan base weren't happy about. But maybe yeah. you were even in the scale on that. Um, yeah. And then it, it, the other two. I've got a Trossard shirt on now as we say. There you go. New Belgium Trossard shirt. The, uh, in, the theory behind spreading this fee around, I think, is right. It's just whether you end up doing what Spurs did with the bail money. On the whole, yeah. I know they got a couple of good players in before Spurs fans say, um, or whether these are just nothing signings that, that amount to nothing. It's going to be difficult. But Arsenal's recruitment of late, you'd back it. Very good. We're, we're being linked to central midfielders now as well. Um, I am surprised that hasn't been more of a priority, I will say, though. As, as am I. Um, the reports today are Weston McKenney, um, but I believe Italian sources. Uh, <laughs> Essentially, when it comes from someone other than an Italian source, so we'll see how that goes. people beginning and then shutting down a Camavinga on loan transfer was one of the most bizarre things I've ever witnessed. <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw it as just a Twitter rumor and I sent it to Connor just to shake him up a bit. Um, <laughs> and then I saw like the, the Sunday, uh, Sunday <clears throat> evening standard or something posted a legit story about it. Okay, and then within twelve hours it was shut down. <laughs> Never really made much sense. He wasn't going to come immediately and start over Xhaka, and he was if he was leaving Real Madrid, it was because he wasn't getting game time. So never really made sense for anyone. TK, last thing on here: Liverpool's midfield options are a topic every week, not just from us. 
I think Jude Bellingham was going to be a struggle. If you had Champions League money, it's more of a struggle if you don't. I've got a number of midfield options here from various other clubs in the Premier League. Now, the team you built under Klopp, the foundations of that were picked up through the Premier League as you started to turn the tide. I'm going to ask you about a number of these midfielders. You tell me how many of them you'd take, wouldn't take, what they could add to your midfield. I think you can have an overwhelming amount of yeses here, but let's, let's do it. I mentioned to you on Saturday, Joe Willock is the man to turn around the <laughs> Liverpool midfield. No, I'm drawing a line. Where do you stand I'm on drawing this? a line. New one, Alden? I, I, like, I like Willock as well, but no, I'm saying no. Oof. We've heard a lot about Caicedo. Alexis McAllister. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. What, what... What does he do for your midfield? Do you need more of his type or more of a Kaiser? Probably type? more of a Kaiser to say the type, yeah. But um, I think within his role at Brighton, he's shown he's not, you know, some uh, sort of luxury player who won't put himself about, who won't put shift in, who can't press an assistant. So um, yeah, he's certainly better than what we've got. So it could mean he stays put, but I think a number of these that I'm going to name now and a number that that are broad and whatever. I think you may see a trickle down in that we think Declan Rice, Caicedo are going to be two of the top targets this Mm. summer. Some of these targets that are lesser spoken about, you may get them for a snip of the price and while everyone's focused on these, you can nip in. You know, like uh, City did with Haaland while Real Madrid were preoccupied with Mbappe. Maybe you can take advantage of uh, something like that, not quite Mbappe, but stealing on uh, some of the targets that may be a second choice for other teams. What about Palina at Fulham? I do like him. I do like him. Um, I do wonder, yeah. again, he's probably a bit more of a ball player than sort of the engine that we probably need. But I, I do really like the player. So it'd be, I'd be interested. I'd, I'd be on the fence with him, but I'd be interested in taking him. Well, if you tell me you want an engine, John McGinn. <laughs> uh, I, as much as you hate John McGinn, I like John McGinn. Uh, but I'm not signing him for us. But no. <laughs> what about um, Barry Eze? Who, sorry? Eze at uh, Crystal Palace. Blimey, that's, we're going a bit, uh, we are going a bit left field. Oh, I've got some more that you're, you're not going to see. I, uh, <laughs> Yeah, Eze's great. I do love him. I think Elise's even better, but Elise's a bit of a weird guy. So I think that might scare some clubs off signing him. I'll tell you what, I said Eze because I thought I asked him the week and you said you preferred him to Elise, so I would have flipped the question otherwise. Brad, Brad said, said he preferred Eze, I think. Okay, there we go. Um, one that is going to be linked to Arsenal, Liverpool, Newcastle, I mean, Chelsea, obviously. Tielemans had those links before and... Some journalists shut them down and was like, look, there is no way Liverpool are going anywhere near this player. And I wondered if your view had changed on him at all or not. The uh, the Tillman stock has plummeted, hasn't it? If anyone invested in it, yeah. it's been a horrible, horrible investment. The crypto boys would be crying. Um, I 
presumably you're going to get him a reasonably knockdown price compared to what he's free. He's free in the summer. Is he actually out of contract? I've, I've yeah, just, yeah, entirely free. Yeah, I wasn't sure what the uh, situation if they had an option, but it was going to be one of those oh, where he's yeah. so fuming that he just wants out, and they say you haven't been great this year, which he hasn't, and you get rid with a cut price. Okay, yeah. In in that case, I mean, he doesn't. I don't perceive him as a guy with a bad attitude. Um, no. So I don't think he sh- he'll come in and sort of spoil the camp or anything like that. Even if he's not sort of change your life, I think he's, again, definitely better than what we've got. And I think he's got something. It is just odd that clubs haven't been all over. There is something there clearly that clubs are seeing that we're not. Yeah. Well, we, we read that Leicester are asking for about 30 million with him having a year left at that point. Um, and I guess there's a lot more central midfielders out there than there are. Tricky wingers, for example. What are your thoughts on Tyler Adams? If Fabinho is on the way out, it's a guy who's shown he can do it in the Premier League. He's not bad. Um, Stock was high after that England game. Yeah, that's kind of strange. It made me more cautious. I was a bit like, if we just go in in because it's an American, they want they want someone to pin up. Um, <laughs> Maybe I've got a bit of sort of like Pulisic syndrome. Maybe I'm a bit scared of a Yank being spoken about. Two left. Um, one, I do have to credit, maybe uh, for, for the wrong reasons actually, but it's aged well. Was linked with Arsenal, was linked with Manchester United. This man was linked to come in and replace Granit Xhaka and you queried whether there was that much of an upgrade involved. That man is Ruben Neves. Hmm. Liverpool type midfield. I'm essentially thinking that you can probably pick up two of these guys for the price, or even three of these guys for the price of what Bellingham's going to go for. The club will definitely be thinking that as well if we know anything about them. Oh, I think it makes more sense anyway. Mm. To be fair, love. Uh, is or is because he's linked with Arsenal, United, Barcelona. Yeah, I, I think he'd be if you get someone else alongside him. As into, if you're signing another player as well as him, I think it's okay for for Liverpool. Well, my concern for Arsenal was, yeah, I don't think he's necessarily going to get into your team with Arsenal. I don't think he's necessarily an upgrade on what you had for what you needed. Um, and for United, I think they were looking at thinking that he's going to suddenly come in and just be sort of the ball player from deep that they need, but also the legs midfield that they needed and kind of doing everything. I thought he's just, they're going to probably spend good money on him. Legs, and he's he? just, that's way too much for him to do. Um, so if we were going to if we got someone else alongside him not going to get him probably but someone like the like sort of Caicedo type and Neves I think you'd go okay that's a good midfield and I think you kind of watch a lot of Wolves games and do think this guy probably does deserve a move because they're horrible yeah. and he does look at least a little bit better than most of this team and the last one I don't expect you to buy on this one but I mean I don't know how far you think you're going to be down at the bottom of this season. Are you going to give James Ward-Prowse that big move? <laughs> That's not more insulting enough for me, John McGinn. Well, <laughs> um, the problem is that obviously the fee that's been talked about with Ward-Prowse is the scary fee. I just just signed that death row. Yeah, exactly. I, just, I don't know who's advising him. Uh, he got linked to Villa and they said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> The... Uh, I actually, I, I have, I'm on record on this pod as saying I think he is a little bit underrated because Southampton maybe aren't the most glamorous team, and I think he's 
a very good player in there that would get more props in a better team. Um, again, much in the same fashion as Ruben does, I'd need someone else alongside it to really convince me. I think the pressure would be a bit too much as well. I think in War Browse to Liverpool seems probably seems like a small time move from the club. So I think the pressure would be on him immediately. And just from those names I've chucked out there, if we assume the Bellingham price is what, 120, if I told you that you could get Caicedo and Palinia, Caicedo and Ruben Neves, or do you actually think that would be better for the future of Liverpool than just one player, or you still think Bellingham's that good that it overrides it? Yeah, I think it's on top. This is on top of the options you already have, by the way. Yeah, that that is true, and it's, it's kind of, I guess, whether you think the options we've got, whether you know, is Fabinho just absolutely shot to bits? Is he done, or is this just some, or is this a funk he can get out of? I guess probably will play a big part in it. Um, I would say, and I'd rarely say, it, I'd say, Bellingham on his own is probably such an asset that you've, if you can go all in to get him, you should do. By contrast, you know, where I'd say Mudrick was that bit unknown, I'd say it's probably wise for Arsenal to sort of split as they as they have done, not by yeah. choice, but as as it ended up happening. I think that was probably the better move for them. I think with Bellingham, you know, just that little bit more about him, I'd say he's such an asset that you probably got to go all in if you can. Yeah. I have seen you linked to Danny Sparse in the last few days as well, but I was going to... Apparently he had a storm of a game from Madrid the other day, so maybe yeah, we've just watched so one heard. game and gone, you know what, let's do it. Invest in those, uh, invest in Valverde while the stock's down. Jack, we're going to move on to the other sports now, so, uh, I mean, unless you want to dig into those, you're welcome to uh, no. vacate the premises. Good. See you, boys. All right, TK. Chris Eubank Jr. insists he was caught by a once-of-a-lifetime <laughs> shot and was dominating before his fourth-round stoppage loss to Liam Smith. Says he hopes to receive a rematch later this year. I mean, if you could just reflect on the fight initially and uh, how we've ended up in this situation. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't read too much into what Eubank said there. I think we probably knew something like that was going to come, didn't we? He's got to sell it to himself somehow. So i take that with a pinch of salt. Um, the reaction, I've... I was trying to think if I've ever been as shocked as that. Even probably... I mean, it's probably AJ Ruiz levels and it might be even more than that, really, just because we've at least seen Joshua hurt previously. I've never seen Eubank in any sort of bother in terms of being hurt. So... I certainly didn't think it would be by the hands of Liam Smith. I'd certainly not within the fourth round. I was, yeah, that's as shook as I've been watching a fight in a long, long time, maybe ever. After a fairly dominant third round from Eubank, Smith came flying out in the fourth round, dropped him 45 seconds into the round. Now, Twitter does its thing as it always does. Numerous things that Liam Smith did have been brought back up. Um, An elbow, I there saw. Was a punch to, yeah, there's a punch to the back of the head in the round prior that was quite significant. Mm. The elbow, I don't know if you've seen the slow motion yeah. of that. Any of these things worth even giving a second thought to or not? No, only because I think if you slowed down a lot of fights and sort of found individual clips, you'd find some 
some dirty <laughs> dirty tactics in there, some roughness. It, it it happens, doesn't it? And it's unless it's really you know blatant cheating, you know, then uh, you know dropping a headbutt on someone, things like that. Then um, I'm not sure you can complain too much. You back would have known it was coming from Smith, and we would have known it was coming from Smith, and I didn't think that would be of any bother to you, but no. Um, now I did say to you when you got to mind that I just keep having these visions all day <laughs> that Liam Smith is going to knock him out. I didn't back that up with a bet, but you can at least confirm that those words did leave my mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you end up doing the lottery in the end? It's, it seems the obvious next move. Wow. Well, if you saw you saw the pixel ad for the UFC later that night, so <laughs> you used up uh, the Oracle was uh, very yeah. brief. Wasted the good surprise on you. Um, in terms of a rematch, because there isn't really much to pick apart in what there was. Liam Smith was doing what we expected him to do. Eubank was doing what we expected him to do. Some of the pundits, uh, I think Carl Froch in particular, have kind of made out that this was just a front-to-back domination by Liam Smith and Eubank just couldn't deal with the pressure or whatever Mm. it was. I thought Eubank had won the first and third round before that. I understand the first round was contentious for a lot of people. Is this one that you look at now after seeing that stoppage and say, look, a rematch would inevitably go the same way? Or would would you have the interest in it if they were to run it back? Do you think they need to run it back? I don't think they, uh, I don't think they need to, I don't think they have to because, oh, that's, it's a weird one to say, isn't it? And that they've both got other fights you could get and you might be more interested in. And because they didn't have a, like a big, until maybe the final press conference, a bit of any grudge or anything going in, it does, it kind of felt a bit like, I'm not sure why they're doing this. It's a good fight, but I don't know why they're doing it. And that still kind of feels the same to me, even with a rematch. But obviously, a, a knockout has added some level of intrigue to it that wasn't there before. That I guess that I do push back on, yeah, as you said, the the assertion that it would just be inevitable the same thing would happen again. And I know that's always, when you have an early knockout, that's always the sort of the easy thing to say. But people said about, to use the example again, people said, well, AJ's been pieced up by Andrew Ruiz in a much worse fashion in terms of a prolonged beating. And they said, well, why would we need to run it back? It'll be the same again. And Joshua obviously made the adjustment and ended it that way. I think if Eubank went into a fight and said, I'm not getting knocked out, I think he could do that. Now, would he then have to change things in terms of how he approaches things with Smith? But I think he would be not saying that he wasn't focused in his training camp to this, but I think he'd be extra focused, extra honed in. And I think he could go in there and go, right, I'm not going to be getting laid out like I did. But then in terms of actually winning the fight, that's going to then be difficult because he can't do his usual thing. It's it's very interesting. A number of things shot me. One, I didn't think there was this level of support for Liam Smith. Um, I spoke to who's been on the podcast was at the fight he said Liam Smith's ring walk like you couldn't hear yourself it did sound electric in there didn't it yeah Um, and particularly in Manchester I don't know what Eubank has done 
to the the people there because I thought everything he did in the build up was pretty spot on. And he had people on side. He played the the jabs from Liam Smith um, to affection in in terms of how he reacted to them. He came out for the way and a United shirt. I thought everything that he'd done, he'd managed perfectly. And obviously that wasn't the case. Now, you look foolish when you do the 50% stuff beforehand and then you lose. It does also mean that that goes in your favor if you're looking for a rematch because (laughs) you say about overlooking people. Some of the quotes from Roy Jones beforehand in that he doesn't need me to train him for a fight like this. He can do it on his own. He has me because we're already training for Canelo and Golovkin. Not aged particularly well. Uh, yeah, I think one that is going to be brushed off as excuses, doing a weight cut that quickly back-to-back, particularly one that was that heavy in the first instance, isn't something to overlook because Eubank would have had to really kill himself to get down to that first weight. Yeah. And then something which I can I mean I can point out to go right back through the archives of this podcast. Um shameless plug you could say. I interviewed Tim Elliott, who was on The Ultimate Fighter, mm. and he was very big for the weight that he was fighting at. He eventually wins the tournament. But he if you've seen the show, you're basically in the house, they can call on you to fight at any time and then the forty five minute reality TV episode is building up to the fight that's in the house. He was the last fight of the first round, and then he was the first fight of the second round, Mm. which essentially means you're cutting weight twice in the space of about two weeks. Bloody hell, that is savage. And I don't know if it's specific, but it's literally that close Mm. together because you've got these people pent up in a house. So if it's it's not two weeks, then it's two and a half, or it's that close together. Um, And he said about when it became time for the second fight, the fight wasn't the issue. It was the weight doesn't come off the same. You're essentially, your body thinks it's dying when you cut Mm. weight to the point that these guys do. And Eubank in particular for that first one, you're depriving your body of water, the food sizes that that you're uh, used to, everything, while also working twice as hard for a training camp. To do that back-to-back, Eubank could have come in at 168 and he still could have been knocked out. Liam Smith said afterwards, look, he does have a very good chin and he played that perfectly, by the way, because the worst thing to do is downplay it after the facts and it makes you look worse. He said he does have a very good chin. I've got a very good chin, but if you catch me on the button, if you catch him on the button in 10 ounce gloves, then you're going to get knocked out. Mm. This for Eubank was a bit different. It was just a peach of a shot, but Something fell off. Anyway, I don't know what it was. It was the weight cut. If it's stuff to do with his dad. I don't know if you saw George Groves' interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I thought that was very good where he said he was fighting the Smith brothers and this this was the first time he was coming into a fight on his own. Hmm. All of these things, we traditionally say that wouldn't bother Eubank, but maybe just all these things added up or maybe we're looking for excuses that he wouldn't even be looking for. I don't know. But it does help if you're going to have a rematch that all of these questions are there. Yeah, and the thing is, it's, it's not like unfair to bring those things up. Like people are kind of, if you bring it up, it's cool. Like, well, you're not giving Smith his credit. So, no, but you can. I don't know if the team goes down to ten men and then you beat them three 0 
you can kind of bring up that you were playing ten man. Yeah. I mean, there yeah. are things going against him. I I do think the biggest conundrum for Eubank at this point is potentially maybe his days are numbered at one sixty. In which case it comes very difficult, obviously. You can't get the Smith rematch. You can't get the Ben fight if you wanted to do that for the money. And there's obviously numerous issues with that fight. But it probably... People said, I think that fight's off now. I think it became a lot more likely off the back of that, actually. And I think it became even bigger. I know that sounds crazy. But Ben off a drugs ban and Eubank looking a bit vulnerable suddenly makes that actually also a competitive fight in people's minds rather than just a name fight. So I think... I actually think we will head in that direction. But I think probably for Eubank's body, it's probably better to do 168. But then he's not the biggest 168 pounder and he's not a huge banger either. So you, you then you're going to end up sort of swimming in a pool of bigger sharks. Not some, not many huge names up at 168 outside of Canelo, who's probably going to leave the division. And so he's kind of now in a an in-between in terms of what he does next. Yeah, and he wouldn't be the first fighter to kind of fall between weight classes. And you usually are better at the smaller one if you can if get you it can right. do it, but yeah. You usually have one particular attribute that makes it worth it. Like you've got an incredible gas tank when you're down there or you've got the power hmm. or you are the bigger man and he's kind of none of those things at either weight. Um, one of the things which I know they do it every time anyway Liam Smith saying he's open to the rematch, but you know, it has to be on my terms now. <laughs> you signed a rematch clause. Like that the, the point of the rematch clause is literally so you can't do that. Like that is literally what the rematch clause is there yeah. for. Is so you can't say, now I want ten times more money and we're gonna do it in my backyard and we're gonna have my fans mm-hmm. there. It sounds great. Smith can, I guess, refuse to fight and he's gonna be taking down a whole legal pathway that is not going to be worth his while. He's going to be paid a fortune, I'm sure, to do the rematch. And it's usually in there that if you win, then you're getting more the second time around. Um, and uh, does he have a, a bigger fight, really? I I struggle to I didn't I like struggle to see the Frotch suggested Golovkin one. I struggle to see that. Yeah. And then what, like Kel Brook out of retirement? I don't know. Is that I don't know how big a fight that is. Yeah. It's, it's decent size, but I don't know. Didn't feel feel good that me and Froch were on the same wavelength. <laughs> what, um, what did, about what? He suggested Triple G. Oh, sus. I mean, I I don't know if I could cope with Smith running <laughs> smashing Triple G. If Smith beat Triple G, I'd be I'd be heartbroken. And then in just a whole number of things, one people are surprised that Eubank immediately says he'd want the rematch. I would refer you back to the response AJ got when he didn't immediately say he'd want a rematch. Either. Yes, yeah. And there's a good idea as to why you do so. And two, I respect Eubank taking a fight like this 10 times more than him facing some guy from Latvia with a number one WBC ranking that I've never heard of and is 36-0, and 0. he's never fought outside of his own country or anyone in a top 10 and he knocks him out in the first round on Sky Sports' main event. What is the point? Yeah. yeah. And then this time around, look, this kind of happened. Then you've got someone like Gareth A. Davis saying, you know, I think that's him just completely finished now. He's done. And I thought, what? 
what incentive is there to come and fight anyone like that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just so reactionary, isn't it? And I said that we did it with AJ, we did it with every fighter. When they take a loss, it's like, oh, that might be him done then. So, okay, it's the safest move though, because you can say that and then maybe you're right. And then if it if he comes back and you were wrong, it just kind of floats away into nothingness that people don't bring up again. Yeah, I, he doesn't strike me as the type. Like, when Hay lost to Bellew, I, I thought there was a part of Hay that would be quite content in brushing it off and essentially saying, well, look how much money I got in the bank. Do you think I care? Yeah. Pretty much. Um, obviously, there's a lot more money in the second fight that means he's happy to go through it a second time and then say, do you know how much money I got? <laughs> do I care? Eubank, I don't think, has that about him to brush it off. I do think he's got a bit more pride than that. I hated the stuff beforehand. I saw an interview with Paul Smith and I wish I was able to avoid just him in general. <laughs> but him saying, you know... I think he needs to understand what he's dealing with. He's never had to go next door and knock and ask if he can borrow a pint of milk. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? What does this even mean? Well, the Smith brothers, the 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 brothers that have been headlining fight cards. So are your kids like that now? Yeah, yeah, that is. Because they aren't Chris Eubank, but they aren't short of a few quid, so... Any issue with their kids now? Hey, you you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth, so don't cry coming to us. You can't do what we do. Yeah. It's just nonsense. I'm sure Eubank, as we're as we're aware, has gone through many hardships, different hardships. And I mean, to to say that the man's never had to struggle in his life, I mean, probably take a look at the last year. Yeah. That yeah. Just we know exactly. about ridiculous liam smith maybe because i've not seen much from him um i thought has been better than i expected him to be but i'm sure if i look out there then i'd probably regret that statement yeah you, you uh wait till they do do the rematch and then have the press run there and then you'll soon uh the hate will soon pour over you again yeah paul smith in the corner shouting at you back when he's down when you hear the about the talk of disrespect when his brother's got knocked out. I'd like to see if if Lee Selby and his family were uh, making a, a big noise after they just chinned his brother. Yeah, yeah. If they were screaming in his face like Smith does, then... I mean, we had to hear about the, the hardship he had having to come out and fight after seeing that happen, so... <laughs> vile, vile bunch. Um, well, there we go. UFC 283 we had on the same night. Won't rip through the whole card, but the main th- main for me, the, the biggest talking point that came out of the night was again, Jessica Andrade raising questions about corners in MMA. Mm. Now, twice on the night, we had questions with the corners. I believe it was the corner in the Glover fight where... His one corner man was asking for him to be pulled, weren't yeah. they? Yeah, they were. And Jessica Andrade, they were sending her back out there saying, we still believe, which is actually worse. Um, Lauren Murphy, is it? 
Yeah. yeah, sorry. Laura Murphy being sent back out, Jessica Andrade saying, no, we still believe we know our fighter. And there's got to be something in play. MMA, at the very origins of the sport, you essentially fought until the other person couldn't fight anymore. In the very earliest days, I'm talking before you yes. and all of this. That was the stage we were, we were getting to with Laura Murphy and Jessica Andrade. And as we've spoken about before, I was there with the George Groves um, gut neck mm. fight. And at the time, it looked like a bad beating, but nothing too dissimilar to what you'd seen before. We were both watching when Eubank fought Nick Blackwell, similar circumstance. Mm. These things, it's far worse for you to take a sustained one like that. And she was offering nothing in return. And DC said it at the end. We shouldn't be commending your toughness for 15 minutes of a fight because things aren't going well for you if that's the case. Yeah, if that's the only like, takeaway we have is that you're tough, then things haven't gone well. But nothing changes. No, it, 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 the culture around it is incredible because this, there isn't much like real push for it. It's, it's weird that the fans are sort of saying is this right, whatever, but within the sport, it doesn't seem to be much sort of like, whether it's bravado or what, but there's not many coaches sort of putting their head above the parapet and going, yeah, you know what? I think we should start looking at pulling fighters out. It doesn't happen. We had one. Do you remember we were coming on here and there was a guy who was making his UFC debut. Do you remember this? And he said in the corner that he didn't want to go back out and his corner forced him to go out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and he was being battered and being called a quitter mm. and look his coach knows him his coach knows that he'd regret this otherwise these are the toughest people on the planet when one of them is saying I don't want to fight anymore there's a good reason for it and so little things like that all contribute to this because Lauren Murphy is an older woman in the sport I don't think I'm being disrespectful no. there she's got multiple kids you don't I understand pride. You don't need to be taking this at this stage of your life. Once it becomes clear that you cannot win anymore, and I understand the position of the referee, it's not their job in that sense. There's a time where the judgment call to be made, but broadly, your corner are the ones that are supposed to save you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've never seen a towel come in mid-fight in MMA. No, and when you look at the way right, when someone can get staggered and sort of pieced up like that, the amount of times in boxing you would see a towel come in at that point. Uh, and then, but it's just, there's not even a conversation about it in UFC. It's, we're going to wait for them to get slumped. Um, or not, as in the case of Lauren Murphy, as you said, it's could often be the more dangerous outcome. It's insane. And some of the stuff we've sort of, you know, the, uh, we've never had, you know, a fatality or, or whatever. Is that this is a young sport. You know, it's going to be 20, 30 years from now. Some of these, people that are taking the damage we're going to see more and more we're going to you know the chances are that some of these people are going to be like impaired by this because the technique has got so much better during time as, as time has gone on as well it's so far behind boxing in that you can say oh, this happened in boxing 30 years ago but the level of boxing at that time was far different to the mm. level of mma at that time and so it is going to get worse they say what we're seeing now where you have this influx of uh troubled fighters once they leave the sport and people kind of chuck CT out there. I think it was Luke Thomas said, 
we've actually never really seen an old MMA fighter. Before. No, that's it. Exactly it. Exactly. We're going to... It's so, kind of our first sort of go route, so we're going to see. And we're getting it now, and yeah, we'll see how safe it is, but, but the UFC don't give you health insurance after you leave their company. <laughs> and the UFC, if you injure yourself in training camp for the UFC, the UFC don't pay for it. <laughs> the UFC don't even, even give them health insurance. Crazy. So it's a... Uh, it's a rough old ride, but in the chief support, we had Brandon Moreno sealing the quadrilogy with uh, Devison Figueroa. Mm. Better in all areas this time around. And as much as he was taking a, a beating, there were some people complaining that the fight stopped when he can't see out of one eye. <laughs> yeah, maybe that is what we're up against, actually. Uh, th- those two are just... Uh, a fascinating sort of duo, aren't they? Because just when you look at the contest, we've had sort of really even match it, matchups. We've had ones where it's been more one side, and then this one again, Moreno's made those adjustments, and you would have thought he'd never had problems with Figueroa from looking at this. It was a crazy that they're they're both obviously very high level, but also to know each other that way and be able to figure each other out like they have is impressive. Yeah. Um- as impressive, the main event, we've got Jamal Hill stepping in. He's 0-1 against top 10 opposition in the UFC. Gets a title fight because of the draw between uh, Lahovic and Ankalaev. Fight delivered. Um, Jamal Hill puts in the best performance we've ever seen from him. Glover gets to go out on his terms. It's a nice ending. He does take a proper beating, but... We had a couple of nice moments where Lucky could have gone the other way. Jamal Hill had to uh, work himself out of some adversity. Perfect night for him. Yeah, the ideal night, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a tough night for, for Glover, but probably the way you have to go out in terms of, right, he knows he's done now and he have it at last tilt. And like I said, he caught him with a couple of shots. It looked like he might be able to choke him out at one point, but... Uh, yeah, at least he kind of knows he lost to a legit one now in Jamal Hill because Jamal Hill passed that test, didn't he? Yeah. Um, we'll speak more about that, I'm sure, as we move forward. But if we close out today's show by mentioning the NFL divisional round, if we start with the Jags and the Chiefs, the Chiefs overcome the Jags 27-20. Um, the key talking point in this game, Mahomes finds himself pleading with Andy Reid to let him stay in the game on Saturday. Mm. He's in agony, clutching his right ankle following a sack. Um, he then gets up and starts limping, but continued to play through the pain and somehow starts making first down plays on one foot. Goes out, ultimately finishes the game with 195 passing yards, two touchdowns. Um, and the second one of those is the result of a 75-yard drive in the fourth quarter. So, finished the game okay, and they advanced to a fifth straight AFC Championship game. Chad Henney led a 98-yard touchdown drive while Mahomes was out. Yeah. Kelsey, Kelsey has 14 catches, a career high for 98 yards and two scores. Valdez Scantlin brings in a touchdown pass with about seven minutes left. How good did you think the Chiefs looked and uh, would you be sooner buying stocks than selling them at this stage? Yeah, it's it's tricky because obviously I sort of went back on my 
season-long pick of Chiefs Niners Super Bowl in favour of putting a Bengals Niners Super Bowl, which indicates that I'm gonna I've, something's happened with the Chiefs that I'm not fully impressed with. I was they've I felt they'd slip back a little bit into that old Chiefs thing of a couple of years ago. Where it's just because we can mount a comeback, they seem to think okay, we will. You can score on us, and we defensively they're not switched on because Mahomes can get them out of trouble. I thought they were a little bit better on that, and I thought they actually sort of rushed Lawrence better than I thought they'd been rushing the passes. So some of the weaknesses that I thought they potentially had, maybe they aren't quite as bad as I thought. I, well, I, I still thought the Chiefs are rightly probably the bookies' favourites, but I was just picking something a bit different in terms of I just thought it was going slightly... They were getting further away than I thought they were. Now, the fact that they're able to do that with Mahomes out briefly and then limping... Kelsey does come up clutching the big moments. That's, in a weird way, probably a more concerning message to the other teams than if they're just blowing the Jags out because we've seen the Chiefs do that. The fact they're able to sort of grind through this is is impressive. And I guess it's all going to be on if Mahomes is carrying that injury or if he's fully recovered. Because I don't know how his ankle was still intact. It was horrible. High ankle sprain they diagnosed The him way with. that those two, two bodies basically just land on him and that, the way it bends, you thought those ligaments should be split in two. It's grim. Well, we had the Giants and the Eagles, so if that game was close, this one certainly wasn't. Mm, no. 38 7, the Eagles win. The Giants, we were buying all the stocks last week. <laughs> um, one throw into the game, we can see that Hurt's shoulder is fine, and it was just a long night for the Giants after that. The the Eagles, I think maybe maybe we're a bit disrespectful uh, a fortnight ago when we were discussing the playoffs, considering their their thirteen and one start, but they looked exactly like a team with that record yesterday Saturday. Yeah, I think we did also say that they are being, I think, dismissed a little bit easily, maybe because of last year because they didn't really they melted in the playoffs, didn't do anything, um, and maybe because we're a little bit hot on the Niners that we're not giving the Eagles that you credit. I think we did acknowledge it at least. So in the midst of disrespecting them, we did acknowledge they're being disrespected. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're, look, they're fundamentally, they're a better team than the Giants. You could kind of, for all our analysis of, of this game and say, um, the Arsenal Man United game earlier is like, the team that showed themselves to be the better team were the better team on the night as well. So it's not too shocking. But I didn't think it'd be as wide as that. I thought, I thought the spread was generous in terms of what the bookies were offering. And I thought it would be a narrow win for uh, the Eagles but a sobering experience on the Daniel Jones train I mean if the if the DAC one came to a bit of a, a grinding halt then certainly the Daniel Jones one couldn't get anything going past in all rushing which I thought okay if the pass isn't going he's shown to be able to rush and he wasn't able to do either that's why I thought they'd keep it close and, and they didn't from the jump it was obvious that this isn't going to be a close game yeah Hurts through two touchdown passes and ran for a score all in the first half. <laughs> um, by the end of the game, I think we were all quite fed up of Nick Sirianni's reactions down the camera. <laughs> yeah, the first time was funny. The last was on there. I think we've got the idea now. It was, I mean, front to back, the, the Philadelphia offensive line were just opening up these massive holes for Sanders and Gamewell. 268 yards they rack up on the ground. Hertz finished 16 of 24 for 154 yards. Has your opinion changed on them at all? 
I think them and the Niners is a really close game. Um, I think they are too. I think actually an overall strength, they've kind of got it. It's just the case of maybe they don't have some of the X factor that some of the other teams have in the homes in Burrow. Um, but I think overall they're just strong. And I do think, I think I've said it all season that I think Hertz probably is being underrated still. I think that people still aren't giving him his due credit in the same way as before he got banged up to her. I don't think he was getting his full credit either. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it's the the Bama quarterback thing. Maybe they just don't give them the credit, but I think he's better than they think. And I think famous last words because we thought this weekend would be close. I can't see a way in which Niners-Eagles isn't at least close. Have you seen how that's priced up? I bet it's narrow. Who do you think's the favourite? Niners narrowly? No. Really? You can get above evens on the 49 That That surprises me. But it, look, it's close enough that you go, it's an edge to either team. But I'd, I'd say the Niners are just about favourites. Yeah, that's the first game. They're making you wait for uh, Chiefs Bengals on Sunday night. Teasing us. Um, in what was supposed to be the game of the year so far and really wasn't. Bengals-Bills. Burrow threw two touchdown passes and the Bengals defense just battered Josh Allen on a very, very snowy field um, on the way to a 27-10 win. Send the Bengals to the AFC Championship game for the second straight year. Uh, Better send those refunds. (laughs) Burrow said when referring to the 50,000 or so tickets already sold for a game that will now never be played between the Bills and the Chiefs. So they came into this game with a chip on their shoulder. I kind of understand why the NFL have done it, but you'd, you'd never get that over here. It does seem bizarre. I guess it's just logistics, isn't it? I guess they have to do that. Um I don't know. Maybe you could do it in a shorter span. I, I don't know. I I, I said at the time, I messaged in our chat, I do feel a bit uncomfortable with the Bengals' level of offence they've taken to that because it's kind of... The reason this came about is because you weren't able to complete a game with the Bills and you weren't able to complete a game with the Bills because a man that he died. So I, I did feel a little bit like... Ugh. As a team, I can see why you use that as motivation. You do the old Michael yeah. Jordan, everyone's against me sort of thing, even if they aren't. Um, but I did think, yeah, when they're publicly saying it, doing it with the celebrations and stuff, like mixing it, I thought... I find that a little bit strange, but the Bengals are a team I like, so I don't. I can. Uh, I can overlook it. I guess. I guess you could say if the tickets sold out that quickly, then you could have sold it on late Sunday night, and they were still going to sell out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I say. I guess in theory, you go in. Well, the fans have got to travel there or whatever. Maybe they've got to make arrangements. But I, I think they could have sold it. No problems in a space of a week, couldn't they? So. Yeah. Uh, Joe Burrow completed his first nine passes for 105 yards, 14 nothing lead for the Bengals. And Jamar Chase opened with a 28-yard touchdown catch, uh, 320 into the game. When they pulled seven points back, Bills, it was like, okay, maybe we're going to do something here. And then they never did. So the best thing about that game was the game that it set up ultimately. Agreed, yeah, Real shame the Bills just didn't turn up, did they? It was the I thought the Bengals ripped the heart out of them early on, but Burrow making those throws, I think they would have thought, right, 
snowy conditions. We're going to make it hard for them. And then when he just he was able to get going immediately and just straight to his number one weapon in chase, I think they were like, oh. And then meanwhile, even when the Bills got seven on the board, it's like everything's clunky, it's forced, they can't get anything yeah. going. The Bengals look so smooth by comparison. And I said it when we were talking about it with, with Sean here, that everyone kind of tells you that the Bills' defense is good, but I'm not seeing it. They've got a mistake no. in them. And when the big play comes, they aren't able to make a stop, kind of like, Packers on years gone past. When you need that big third, sort of that third down, and you need them to make a stop, they aren't able to. Um, and those moments, the Bengals are great in, and the Bills are, are dreadful in. And then an end to a dull day in the NFL. Cowboys 12, 49ers 19. <laughs> I feel like I learned nothing new here. No, the. The most entertaining thing was seeing how the Cowboys were going to be able to fuck it up. And it was the exact way we thought of Dak throwing interceptions. Yeah, it's back down to earth for Dak. And then the play call in was just like in its. Mike McCarthy. <laughs> Ezekiel Elliott getting just nailed on that last one was just like, what were you even thinking? Yeah. If, if you were going to maybe clutch anything from the game, we saw Purdy have to overcome a bit of tension and turbulence in a position that was the highest stakes game of his career. And he's, he's got through that. Um, the one moment in which he uh, was throwing it out to the touchline and nearly got it wrong, I thought the way that he was coached through that on the sideline, the way that he looked um, very attentive and understanding of that situation, I thought was a great look for him. Agreed, yeah. And other than that, there wasn't really much to take from the game. Um, if anything, I thought the 49ers with how the Cowboys were playing that an opportunity to really kind of assert their dominance, but they did enough. It took them till late on. Kittle was the only one that really seemed to enjoy the game and he grabbed it by the scruff of the neck himself. Yeah, and it's not bad when you've got that as, as your option, is it? The likes of him and Kelsey can do that. They can drag their teams through when they need to. Uh I- I don't know whether the Niners were just so confident in themselves that they thought they can play with their food or whatever. I did think one of the takeaways from it, I did think they were getting too clever with it. I know Sean was obviously not happy with some of the play calling it, and rightly so. I thought it was odd some of it. I thought at times they kept putting sort of like McCaffrey out in like a wide receiver role. I think when he runs the ball as well as he did and he did in the previous game, even if you go, we don't want to overuse him, I can understand that, but you just got a threat in that he's going to... The amount of times they sort of give it to Purdy and the Cowboys just knew well, he's going to be throwing. It's not, they're not even threatening the run here. It was, it was odd. And whilst I understand you've got so many weapons, you want to use them, you want to rotate them, and you don't want to overuse anyone, and you want to give maybe everyone touches. I do think if you're going to start trying to be the cleverest guy in the room against the Eagles, you're going to have a harder time. So Shanahan's a great coach, but don't sort of start drinking your own Kool-Aid, I'd say. It's probably the only threat I'd say the Niners have because other than that, they're, you know, they're pretty bulletproof as a team. Wasn't worth staying up till 2.45am for? I thought it was. And then at work this morning, I thought, I'm not sure this was all worth what we've done here. Will we go again next no. week? Yeah, when that alarm went off at 6.10. Unpleasant. It was a blue Monday. Just because uh, we'll cover the games, obviously, next week. Early, just straight picks for... Eagles, Niners, Chiefs, Bengals. 
which two teams do we see in the Super Bowl? I'm still I'm rolling with my my Bengals Niners pick, but uh, it's not with any degree of confidence. I thought the Niners were pretty bullish as an NFC favorite. I think the Eagles are just as almost just as strong. Not quite, but nearly there. So that's two close games. I love it. I'm going to go Eagles-Bengals. Okay. All right. Only based on what we've seen this weekend in the opposition, obviously, do I have to take into account. <laughs> and I'm saying this with the benefit of not actually having to explain it. Um, <laughs> mainly just a feeling. But look, as I said with the boxing, maybe i've now just got i've just got that if you touch. tell me you've got a vision for who's in the super bowl then i'm sticking everything i've got on it all right and i'll just have to not back it <laughs> because then i know what'll happen um but great weekend of sport this weekend i realized i watched four games of football four games of nfl a ufc card a boxing card and a bit of tennis but not bad at all yeah yeah, sorry for uh, Liverpool's part in that in your weekend of <laughs> cut it off to a bad start. Arsenal made up, up for that. Yeah, well, no, I, I probably preferred that game to the Cowboys Niners one. At least <laughs> the Liverpool one wasn't double the length. <laughs> so there we go. Thank you again for listening to another edition of the Spitballing Pod. Movie Madness this week is Public Enemies up against Gamora. So be sure to tune into that one at the end of the week. And as I say later episode next week so you will see an episode on your feed next tuesday evening slash wednesday morning so see you there adios